On today's show, here are three stats that explain last year's Cavs and where they go from here. Let's dive in. I'm Chris Manning for Locked On Cavs. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. The music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. I'm Chris Manning. I am covering the Cavs in the NBA for outlets like SB Nation, Cleveland Magazine, the Just Basketball Show, and more. Evan Damerl is not with me today, but he is my normal co-host. As always, we have Jake Stevens, the god on production. Thanks for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every single day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network team every day. All right, segment one today, I'm going to explain the Cavs offensive drop from the regular season into the playoffs and what that means. Segment two, the Cavs ran a ton of plays against set defenses. I'm going to explain why that explains some of the issues they had in the playoffs and what they could do to adjust. In segment three, the Cavs three-point defense in the playoffs was pretty good. So I'm going to use that as a way to explain why the defense wasn't exactly the reason the Cavs got bounced in the first round against the Knicks. Bit of news we should have hit on before this, though. Antonio Lang, Cavs assistant coach, is headed to work for Quinn Snyder in Utah. It has been reported that his contract with the Cavs run out. It is unclear if they will replace him at this time. Lang was someone who worked a lot with some of the bigs and, and came from Utah. He's a very well-respected guy, um, very well thought of coach, had a really deep connection with Quinn Snyder. So I'm not super surprised he's going to Atlanta but that is a loss. Curious to see if the Cavs replace him if they go in a different direction. So I just wanted to note that Antonio Lang news. So let's start with the offense. Everyone knows that the Cavs offense was not good enough in the playoffs. If you watched, if you had tickets to a game, if you, you're, you're telling tales from the couch, you know that the Cavs offense did not do well enough in the playoffs. You could watch the games, you could look at the stats, read the box scores, go on YouTube, and you're going to know that it wasn't good. You put that together with the toughness issues and the offense rebounding issues, that dooms the Cavs. And the offensive drop for Cleveland, at least statistically, from the regular season to the playoffs was huge. In the regular season, they had an offensive rating of 116.7, according to Clean the Glass. That was the seventh ranked offense in the league. It's pretty good. Top 10. Feel good about that. In the half court, the Cavs had the 10th best offense in the regular season, scoring 99.8 points per 100 possessions. That's pretty good. Half court offense is a lot harder. We'll talk about this more as the show goes on, but scoring against set defenses is extremely difficult. Getting to almost a point per possession in the half court is really good work, and I think it speaks most well of Donovan Mitchell and the, the best year of his career, as well as Darius Garland and the rest of the team. And then here's the playoff numbers. In the playoffs, the Cavs' offensive rating goes down to 102.2. It's really bad. That would have been the worst in the league. Just, that's untenable. That is horrendous. There's not a positive word I could tell you about that offensive number. Or just what the offense looked like, because it looked like crap. In the half court, 88.1 offensive rating. It's like a 10-point drop per 100 possessions. 
you went from being like every other possession, you're getting a bucket in the half court to much less than that. You're not going to win a series, be competitive in a series like that. This is what I think it tells us. For one, I think it tells you that the Cavs obviously did just, just didn't show up at the biggest point on the biggest stage of their season. For all the reasons we've talked about, the offensive, I think some of the game plan stuff was weird. I think that the tempo they played at was weird. I think just not making some shots at times, frankly, not having the right personnel. I think all of that adds up, and the offense just didn't feel built for the playoffs. The structure of what worked in the regular season didn't one-to-one carry over, I don't think. Everything got stuck in the mud. I think if you want to look at this through a lens of, okay, what do you learn? Where did it work? How can you extrapolate this forward and do something positive with it? I think it's that there's a spacing question. I think if you look at the teams left, Denver, the Lakers in the West, Boston and Miami, hilariously, in the East. Obviously, Philly was there uh, before that. And you had the Knicks there. Obviously, being the Cavs out West, you had the Warriors and you had the Suns. Those teams that made it past where the Cavs were, and particularly the teams that are there now, they all have shooting. And they've turned to options that give them spacing and options. They give themselves flexibility. They give themselves room to operate. Those teams that are left have obviously super, super stars. Nikola Jokic might be the best player alive right now. LeBron is LeBron. AD is AD. The Suns had KD and Booker and had two games of absolutely flamethrower offense before they got bounced. The Warriors are the Warriors. They have Steph. Okay? The Heat have Jimmy Butler. Playoff Jimmy Butler especially, right? The, the Celtics have Tatum, who played one of the best games I've ever seen someone play in Game 7 against Philly. Okay, these they have standout players. The Cavs also should have those as well. They have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. But those teams have spacing. They have three-point shooting. They have options. Even someone like Philly, who lost, but made it farther than the Cavs did. If P.J. Tucker taking threes and getting hot and, and them give that, giving that some success... As far as Game 7 went, that was at least something. That was more than the Cavs got from any of their role players. What P.J. Tucker is giving Philly in that series was more offensively than any Cavs player, role player was giving Cleveland, really, it felt like. And that's a guy who famously does not like to shoot, who has to be like coaxed into shooting. Okay? And then I think if you look at Denver and Boston, specifically, those are the teams right now that if I had to say who are the two favorites... Those are the favorites right now. I, I also have a, I have a future on a Denver title win, so let's, let's ride with that, baby. Plus, plus 800 value on that from our friends at FanDuel. Immaculate. These are the best two half-court offenses in the playoffs so far. The Heat are sixth. Okay? So they, they have found some stuff that works. You're looking at through all these teams. You're looking through all these different avenues. They're all good. The Lakers are the worst of these teams. They're at 95 offensive rating. That's so 95 points per possessions. But you know you can trust it, and you can see some of them dial it up in sets and get them certain looks and get them certain things that are going to get, get them better looks than the Cavs, for instance, we're getting. And you kind of just think some of that is going to work itself out game to game, even if they can be inconsistent game to game. You might not get the best AD, the best LeBron every night right now, but you're going to get something, and you're going to get something productivity about it. These teams have all had offense that has really carried over. It comes, it can come and go. It can be up and down. Boston certainly is a great example of that with, with the way they play. And, and without Tatum had a horrendous start to game six before he really turned it around for game seven, right? All of this can vacillate. And like, it's hard to compare anyone to what Denver does offensively because Jokic is, is one of one and an absolute alien who 
unlock so many different things that it's that's not replicable. But if you want a barometer of where the Cavs need to go, this is it, brother. You got to to win at this point of the year. You have to execute at the higher level in these spots. And look, maybe some of this was the matchup. Maybe some of this is just that you change the personnel and it gets better. Maybe it's a combination of, of all that and some set tweaks and things, whatever it is. Cleveland has to look at what did not work in the first round and say, okay, that has to be a learning point for us because we cannot get to where we want to go if we're going to execute offensively like we did and play at that level. That is not the quality of team. That is not at the level of team you need to be at if you want to get beyond the first round and not be getting bounced in five, round, in, in five games by the New York Knicks. You have to be better than they were in our own. You have to raise the quality of your half-court offense. And it cannot have the drop from like the seventh-ranked offense to just an absolute useless offense from the play- regular season to the playoffs. And look, next year, let's view. The, I think it's time to view the Cavs' offense in the regular season about a prism through what we think might work in the playoffs. We got to see if it's going to work or not because we just saw that it didn't, and they got to prove something with that. All right, after the after this. We're going to dive into plays against that defense. This is a pace question. This is a stylistic question. But I'm going to talk about why the Cavs, how the Cavs run a ton of plays against that defense at one of the highest rates in the league and, and why I don't think that actually serves them very well or serves their personnel well, frankly. But I want to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs, a new sponsor for the Lockdown NBA channel. Bird Dogs recently just sent all of us hosts some free product. And I got to say, loving it. Right today, for instance, I wore a pair of their shorts that they sent us with a liner in them, actually, which I was a little skeptical of, but absolutely loved. Incredibly comfortable. I wore them into the office in a professional setting. They fit great. They looked great. I looked professional with the shirt that I'm wearing. Everything worked. When I went on a midday walk to get some fresh air and vitamin D, I didn't feel uncomfortable in like a pair of shorts. Like they were stretchy and flexible. They're everything you could want. And shorts then after work, it's my mom's birthday. Happy birthday to my mother. We went to dinner and I wore the shorts to that too. They fit. They're versatile. These are super versatile, super comfortable shorts and pants that allow you to wear them to the golf course, to a meeting, on a date, or hanging out with your friends. And they make pants too again, which is absolutely awesome. They fit great too. I cannot wait to get some of these some of the pants. They sent us a pair of workout shorts and a pair of their normal shorts. I can't wait to get some pants too. Because that's just going to be my pants rotation from there on. Where I can get some Bird Dogs pants, that's all only pants I think I'm going to own. I'm going to look great all year long in these. They're going to be comfortable. These might end up being the only pants and shorts that I own for, for work and, and going out in the world. So go to birddogs.com backslash LockedInNBA. And when you enter the promo code LockedInNBA, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. I got one of those. They're sick. Again, lock, promo code LockedInNBA. That is birddogs.com backslash Locked on NBA. Go check out Bird Dogs. The absolute best. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Every day is evident. We'll be back tomorrow. We are going to dive into some shooting, more shooting guard topics. Kind of where that room goes from here, where Mitchell goes from here. Uh, a lot more to unpack as we get through that position. So let's move on to plays against set defenses. It is very hard to calculate pace in the NBA. I, I don't look at it from a pure numbers perspective. There's a pace stat you can look at NBA.com. I, I just don't f- always find that like super. It does, what does that tell me? It's not like really giving me something I can learn, to be honest. 
when I when I'm this is to me one of the things where I think it really when you watch teams you can see how they play this this tells you a lot more than any of the some of the numbers will. You want to look at how they kind of operate. So how fast do they get across half court? How aggressive are they at pushing the ball up the floor of rebounds? And, and most maybe most importantly, frankly, how do the best players like to play? How do the guys in the Cavs case, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, and at times Evan Mobley, who loves to push off of rebounds, how do those guys like to play? Do they like to get into sets quickly and precisely? Do they like to load up and set and get and kind of do things a very specific way? The Cavs, I think, are very clearly a slower paced team. They can really drag things. They can take their time to get across half court to get into sets. It seems like Mitchell and Garland both like to play that way at times. They like to bring up the ball. They, they like to, to get set up. They like to get the ball in the backcourt and dribble it up and call out the play and just take a second to, to get into things. I think if there is a number that explains this, it is the percentage of plays the teams run in the half court. This is from cleaning the glass, and this is basically kind of tracking how often teams are playing against a set defense. This is something that I look at. This is something that I look at as a way to kind of evaluate, okay, like, what does this tell us about how these teams want to play? The league average is 79.5% in the regular season of of how often teams are playing against a set defense. It went through 79.7% of the playoffs. Okay. So basically what that tells us is it kind of stays, that's at least this year, say pretty even from regular season to playoffs, but the level of difficulty seems to go up. Okay. In the regular season, the Cavs ran 80.6% of their plays against a set defense. That's about a a little more than 1.1% above the league average. It's one of the most highest rates in the league or worst, depending on how you look at it. As I hit on in the first segment, they did pretty well there. The brilliance of the players won out over any concerns I think you might have have in terms of offensive personnel or scheme or whatever. You know, the rate held pretty much in the playoffs, the same in the playoffs, but it didn't work as well. And then you do have all these concerns. The brilliance of Mitchell and Garland and all these things did not win out in the way they did in the regular season. There was a real slippage there. I think you just make your life harder. And look, you can play this way and be really, really good. Boston, for instance, had the league's fourth best offense in the regular season and had the third best offensive rating with 81.2% of their plays coming against set defenses. Philly was up there too. 81.7% of their plays against set defenses. Think about how Harden and Embiid like take forever often to get into their sets. But, and, they, and they, with that high rate, had the third best offense overall, fourth in the half court. Okay, those two teams did awesome with that. It's possible to play that way and, and, and win games and be a great offense. You can do it. it. It is harder, but you can do it. I just think the Cavs roster as it exists struggles to play that way. I think, number one, they need shooting to loosen things up. Some of these things these teams have, you look at Boston with all the shooting and the, and the guard play they have, that loosens things up for if you want to play that way and gives you kind of outlets to do some of that stuff. I, Philly had some of that as well, and they, they have someone like Maxi to kind of change the pace, and is, it gives them a real dynamicism in a way that like even when Okoro or Jetty or Mobley off of rebounds can push them into a higher pace, it's not the way Maxi does where you kind of control like three minutes of a game at this, this rapid pace. They, they don't have that kind of, they don't have the jolting element to some degree. I just also think some of the Cavs players would be better playing faster. I think with Mitchell in particular, his worst habits as a scorer come when he is a he he wants to attack versus a loaded defense and, and play hero ball. When he drags the I, I hate the possessions for him 
when he is ratcheting up the difficulty for no reason and is not like it's not even like a creating for others thing or to run a pick and roll it is just like dribbling the clock away you get in at 16 seconds and you wait and you wait and you wait i think if you get him going i think if you get him kind of just moving a little bit quicker he's gonna just be able to attack more use his athleticism get things going find shooters get to the room and get fouled you're putting the defense on its heels instead of giving them a chance to set themselves in front of you I think just wrapping up and trying to you know, shave a little bit of these possessions out of the half court, I think would be a really, really good idea. I also just think the Cavs should get into sets quicker. You see these great teams in the playoffs that get into their looks and sometimes even getting to, into their second action with like 16 seconds left on the shot clock. Denver is the anomaly of this. They're like, it's Jokic, it's Murray. But like you, you watch how they have just got this down to a science and a rhythm where they're, thick, they're across at 20. They're in a set, then it's 16 or 15, like they're into their second action, and there's a dribble handoff coming, and there's cuts coming. Everything is constant motion and moving and making the defense think about what is coming next and trying to guess at what Jokic is going to do and try to guess where the dribble handoffs is going to go. And they're freaking out, and then you get open looks, and you, and you play this insanely high level. And there's like not really a good defense for it. I understand Jokic is the anomaly and unlock some of that stuff. But like if you have really good players, you should be able to find ways around this. And just think about how many times this year you're watching the Cavs, you're watching them play offense, and it's like, okay, they're going to get across half court. It's like 16 seconds, and you're just taking your time, and you're giving everyone on the defense a chance to breathe and get set against you, mark the shooters, and like really pincer you and make your life harder. I, I, don't, I just don't understand why you are so willing to just play into that. I think it makes you a worse team if you're Cleveland when you do that. And is that a coaching thing? Is that a player thing? I think it's all of it. Frankly, I think that's all of the, the kind of it. I think this team could be. If, is there some risk in pushing it at times? Sure. But I think the risk would be worth it. And I think this is just low hanging fruit. If you want to be better, if this offense can take a step forward without massive personnel overall, I think tempo is it. I think unless you add the kind of players and roles and reshape all of those guys, you might need to to get where you want to go. You might have to, to try to figure that out. I think tempo and playing with some pace. I think this would unlock some stuff. And it's just, this is a more obvious, more easy one to do. You can control this one right now. You can't always control the players you're going to get, particularly when this free agency market isn't that good. You don't have first-round picks to trade. All right, last thing here. Let's talk about three-point defense. In the regular season, the weak point in the Cavs defense, which is the best in the league, at least by defensive rating, was three-point defense. Cleaning the glass uh, has them at 25th in category with teams shooting 37.6% on threes against the Cavs defense. That includes 41.7% on corner threes. Everywhere else, Cleveland's defense was swarming. Teams did not shoot well against them basically anywhere else on the floor, and the defense was excellent. They made life really, really hard for opposing teams. I would argue, and going back and watching some of the tape and, and looking at a lot and looking at the numbers and looking at everything. I would argue in large part that the Cavs scheme actually held up in the playoffs. The three-point numbers, the three-point defense reflects this. In fact, from three, the Knicks shot 29.7% from three against the Cavs. That includes 28.6% on corner threes and 29.3% on non-corner threes. So under 30% from three across the board for the Knicks in the playoffs, and they still beat the Cavs in five. Okay. Elsewhere, the Knicks didn't even shoot all that well. This wasn't like a great offensive series for them. The Cavs just sucked more on offense, but the Cavs' defense really held up, I think, if you look at a lot of it. So this all feeds back into the rebounding issue. That was the killer. That gave the Knicks all of these second chances, 
all these moments you get second and third and fourth looks against a less set defense and a scramble drill. That issue will kill you if you let it persist. That rebounding issue persisted and it killed the Cavs. Okay. Three-point defense does have some volume and variance into it. Okay, you can acknowledge that. You're going to have, it's not wild to me that you got that big of a vacillation between the regular season number, which was bad, and the postseason five-game sample, which was good. That five games is not a lot. You can have this up and down kind of bit. The Knicks also didn't take a ton of threes. Maybe a more three-point heavy team would have busted some things up in certain games and made the Cavs reconsider some things to sell out on defending threes and bust up the defense in a real way. But I think versus the opponent in that specific context, I think the scheme held. I don't think you can look at how that series went and say the defense needs to be blown up. That is that is not the conclusion that I think is reasonable to come to. I think the question that is worth looking at is if it's worth adjusting in some way if you need to improve the offensive side of the ball. And do you need to change some things to emphasize rebounding, controlling the glass, and limiting second chance points? How do you adjust the defense to be tougher on the boards in some way? Is that a personnel thing? Is that scheme? Is it both? Like There are multiple ways you could look at that and answer that. That, that. That's a whole other podcast. That's another thing to answer. We'll do that at some point, I'm sure. And then on the offensive side, okay. Is there a calculus you can make in how you want to change your defense? Do you sacrifice Okoro? Do you sacrifice Allen? Whatever it is, do you do something different to give yourself more shooting and more offensive fluidity to fix some of the issues we talked about before with how the half-court offense looked when you got to the playoffs? Are there changes you make defensively that you're willing to sacrifice a little bit there to make gains on the other side? Okay. So in short, I think you could see the Cavs make some defensive adjustments, but it's not because it needs to happen. I think because the situation is broken. I think the other needs you have may just demand some tweaks, some adjustments and figuring some stuff out. And some of this might just be like, Okay, we're going to sell it and crash charter. It could be something where it's just like we need to really emphasize that from day one next year because we're not going to be like that again. I would view that as like a somewhat acceptable way to, to look at this. I think that's part of it. But I think if you just look at the playoffs as a whole and I think you look at the three-point defense and I think you look at the, just the defensive performance on the whole, I don't think you can look at that the playoffs and say that's the side of the ball that needs to get figured out. That is the aspect of this team that, that didn't scale up. I'm not even saying anyone is making that. I'm just saying if we're really evaluating this and with some time to time to breathe and to look back at it with with more just kind of facts. To me, I, I think you look at that and say it can't be that side of the ball. It's clearly the other thing. This side of the ball held up and they were the best defense in the league with teams shooting ridiculous numbers from three. I would suspect they're going to be really good at defense again next year. And it's about figuring everything else out that will decide where they go. I want to remind you, by the way, that you can catch NBA games on the Series XM app on, on the SXM app. Search Cavs or whatever NBA team you want to listen to. Check that out. It's great. Check out those hometown broadcasts. And look, thanks again for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Every day is back tomorrow. Evan will be back. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for production. This has been Lockdown Cavs for Thursday, May 18th. I'm Chris Manning. Have a good time, everyone. Be well. Enjoy the hoop.